This is the Bible in one year, day seven. Your double blessing. I love the word mercy. I'm so thankful that God is a God of mercy. William Shakespeare captured something of the wonder of mercy in Portia's speech in The Merchant of Venice. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. You're blessed when you receive mercy and you're blessed when you're merciful to others. From Psalm 6 Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Cry out for mercy. Are there times in your life when you're really struggling and nothing seems to go right? You feel faint, in agony, anguish, worn out, groaning, weeping, in tears, and weak with sorrow. At times, this may be caused by our own sin. At other times, it may be due to bereavement, sudden loss, relationship difficulties, family breakup, sickness, work issues, unemployment, or opposition. David also experienced difficult times, but in the midst of them, he cried out to God for mercy. Be merciful to me, Lord. He knew that God is a God of mercy. He prayed, save me for the sake of your steadfast love and mercy. Sometimes it seems that our difficulties will never come to an end. They seem to go on and on. When we're in a season of battle, we cry out like David. How long, Lord, how long? We cry out for mercy. And it does not seem as if God is listening, but he is. There will come a point when you can say with David, The Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. Lord, thank you for your unfailing love and mercy. Thank you that you hear my cry and accept my prayers. Be merciful to me, O Lord. New Testament from Matthew 5 and 6 You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew chapter 6 Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness! No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money.
Be merciful to others. Having mercy on others is right at the heart of Jesus' teaching. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love is more than showing mercy, but mercy is an essential part of love. Jesus gives three reasons in the passage why you should be merciful towards those who've wronged you. First, to have mercy on your enemies is to imitate your Father in heaven, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. God's mercy extends to those who are hostile towards him. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Second, to have mercy like this marks you out from the world. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? We tend only to love people who are like us or whom we like. But you are called to be different. You're called to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer described as the extraordinary, the hallmark of the Christian. Third, there is a connection between forgiving and receiving forgiveness. We can't receive God's mercy ourselves and then show no mercy to others. We do not earn forgiveness by forgiving others, but Jesus says that our forgiveness of others is essential to receiving God's forgiveness from us. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Daily receive mercy and forgiveness, and daily have mercy and forgive others. Jesus also explains how you can express this mercy practically in what you do. He highlights the importance of prayer. He tells you to pray for those who persecute you. Praying for your enemies helps you to see them as God sees them. In prayer, you stand side by side with them, take their guilt and distress on yourself, and plead to God for them. Prayer is the litmus test of love. Coming into the light of God's presence reveals the true feelings in the depths of our hearts. The theme of mercy is also at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Of course, there's much else besides mercy in this prayer, which we'll look at later when we encounter it in the other Gospels. When we pray, Jesus teaches us to first keep it quiet. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role-play before God. Second, keep it honest. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Third, keep it simple. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Finally, mercy should also be at the heart of our giving. Generosity is a form of having mercy on others. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. That's the way your God who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. Every time I read the Sermon on the Mount, I see how far short I fall, and I'm very aware my own need for mercy. Lord, thank you that you're merciful to me. Thank you that you forgive my sins. Lord, help me always to be merciful to others. Old Testament from Genesis 14 to 16. At the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisa, Kedoliamah, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings went to war 
against Bira, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, Shemiba, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Dead Sea Valley. For twelve years they had been subject to Kedolaimah, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedolaimah and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtaroth Kanaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Sheva, Kiriathaim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir as far as El Paran, near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishvat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kedulaimah, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elasa, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Ane, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedulaimah and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Arne, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Genesis chapter 15 After this, 
the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Adam drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Genesis chapter 16 Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, 
You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahiroi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had borne. Abram was eighty-six years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Receive God's mercy. Two crucial passages in the Old Testament reading for today point to the way in which God's mercy is made possible. First, receive God's mercy through Jesus. It starts with what appears to be a rather strange and disconnected account of four kings defeating five kings. Then the connection is made with Abraham's nephew Lot being captured by the four kings and then rescued by Abraham. Then, mysteriously, Abraham, returning from his victory, is blessed by Melchizedek. This is expounded in the New Testament by the writer of the book of Hebrews, who explains that it all points forward to Jesus. Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to all the other priests in the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood. Abraham, who was the great-grandfather of Levi, who was therefore in his loins, gave a tithe to Melchizedek. In other words, Levi recognized the superiority of Melchizedek. Melchizedek foreshadows Jesus, the great high priest, whose one perfect sacrifice on the cross made it possible for all our sins to be forgiven. Therefore, this brought to an end the need for the old priesthood and sacrificial system. The bread and wine foreshadow the bread and wine of the communion service. They point to the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus, whose body was broken and whose blood was shed so that you and I could be totally forgiven and receive God's mercy. Second, receive God's mercy by faith. The account then moves on to God's promises to Abraham, in spite of the fact that he and Sarah are old and childless. Their descendants are going to be as many as the stars they can count. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Not only are you forgiven, God in his mercy declares you set right with God. The New Testament often refers to this verse because it shows that mercy, forgiveness and righteousness are obtained by faith, that is, believing God. 
it's encouraging to see that in the New Testament, Abraham is listed by the writer of Hebrews as one of the great people of faith, even though in today's passage we see his faith was not entirely unwavering. When their prayers for a child do not seem to be answered, Abraham and Sarah hitch a plot to achieve God's ends by human means. They agree that Abraham should sleep with Hagar and Ishmael is conceived. One sin leads to another and Sarah ill-treats Hagar. This is the first time that God is called El Roy, the God who sees. It's easy to feel that you are forgotten by God, particularly at moments when, like Hagar, you feel unjustly treated. But knowing God is the God who sees can help you to live by faith. God is a God who finds you in the midst of the wilderness and sees you. The God who sees is a God of mercy. The New Testament suggests that God overlooks the sin of Sarah and Abraham and only remembers their faith. Lord, thank you for your amazing mercy made possible through the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus, our great high priest, dying for me. Thank you that I can never earn your mercy, but I receive it as a gift by faith. Pepper adds, Considering all that Abraham had been up to, which we see in Genesis 12, verse 10 to 20, it's amazing that God credited him with righteousness. There's hope for us all. So if you feel you have let God down in some way, know you too can have Jesus' righteousness.